Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today, we're getting a presidential election update from Kyle Kondik, a nationally known expert on American campaigns and elections. He's the managing editor of Sabato's Crystal Ball, a nonpartisan political tip sheet produced by the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. Kyle also is the author of a new book, The Bellwether, Why Ohio Picks Presidents. It's published by the Ohio University Press. Kyle, we talked uh, a while back about uh, your book, The The Bellwether, Why Ohio Picks the Presidents, uh, published by Ohio University Press. And uh, when we talked, we, we talked primarily about Ohio and, and its role. You know, there are a lot of swing states right now. And it, you know, just starting the, this last week of uh, September, they seem to be all in play. Yeah, so uh, there's basically uh, this kind of a few different tiers of states right now. All right, t- um, r- walk us through it. So, um, first of all, there are some traditionally Republican states that look a little bit more competitive than they usually are. Uh, and I think two good examples of those are Arizona and Georgia. Uh, those are states where Trump has been polling kind of weaker than Republicans typically do, uh, but Trump should probably end up uh, carrying those states. Then there's kind of a basket of a number of states that are either tied or actually maybe even leaning a bit to Donald Trump that have voted for Obama at least once. Uh, One of them is the state of Iowa, uh, which is actually uh, typically more Democratic than not, although very competitive. uh, And that state seems to be trending Republican in this election partially because uh, it's so white. Um, there's not, not all that many non-white voters in that state, and Trump seems to be doing better than Republicans typically do amongst uh, whites without a college education. And so that trend, that change is sort of affecting uh, Iowa to the point where Trump is very likely leading there. Um, another place like that is Maine's 2nd Congressional District, which Maine and Nebraska are the only two states that uh, award some electoral votes by Congressional District. So uh, Maine second district, it's the it's the northern kind of northern part of the state. Um, Maine second district is actually the biggest district, biggest congressional district by landmass uh, east of the Mississippi. So you think wow. of Maine as a small state, but actually <laughs> right. northern Maine is very big, very rural, and it's it's again it's kind of like Iowa in that it is uh, uh, kind of white working class, and Trump seems to have some appeal up there. So um, and then you have a state like Ohio. 
Uh, Trump is actually probably leading in Ohio right now by a small margin. Yeah, the latest polls I've seen, 1% or 2%. Yeah. Uh, and, and those have gone back and forth, but consistently over about the last week, 10 days, 1% or 2%. Yeah, so so Trump is uh, Trump is probably leading in Ohio by a small margin. Part of it is is Ohio, too, is whiter than the nation, uh, and its white population has maybe a higher percentage of the non-college educated whites. And again, that's the group that Trump's really doing well with. Clinton's doing better with college educated whites than uh, Democrats typically do. But in Ohio, that trade-off actually works for works for Trump. And so um, that's another one of these states that was an Obama state twice that uh, Trump very well could win. And then you've got states like Nevada, Florida, North Carolina, all of which are very close. So Basically, Trump needs to win all of the states and the, that main main two district that I mentioned um, in order to get very close to winning. And then he needs to find one other state that would get him to about 266 or 267 in the Electoral College. You need 270 to win. So a couple of states that you haven't mentioned, though, uh, Colorado, right. uh, so, which is uh, on the fence now, correct? So there's a, a, a basket of states that I think Clinton is still narrowly leading in. Um, that sort of forms the, the her kind of inner defenses uh, against Trump winning. Colorado's one, Michigan, Wisconsin, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, uh, Virginia. Clinton is leading by various amounts in all those states. Some of them have seemingly gotten kind of close. Uh, Colorado is one of them, although uh, there is some question about pollsters' ability to accurately poll Colorado, because Colorado has a fairly significant Hispanic population. And a lot of pollsters do a pretty bad job of reaching Hispanic voters. Um, I, the best pollsters who poll Hispanics, uh, they will have people who do live interviews actually in Spanish. Um, and, you know, some pollsters don't do a good enough job of contacting cell phones, you know. So, but, but yeah, a lot of the polls in Colorado have been close. I still think Clinton is favored there, albeit narrowly. Uh, and, you know, those may be the you know, those may be some of the states that end up providing the decisive 270th electoral vote to either Clinton or Trump, you know, maybe a New Hampshire or Colorado or Pennsylvania, one of those states. Just going through the states you mentioned in that last group, uh, Virginia, uh, how important was uh, having Senator Kane on the on the ticket? Uh, to to that state. So running mates typically are not all that meaningful. Uh, in you've in, looked at it historically. Yeah, and they just really aren't. But are they? Um, but they can be worth somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three points in their home state. And Clinton has consistently led in Virginia, even as the race has sort of tightened in recent weeks. And I wonder if Kane is so, sort of helping keep Virginia as a six to seven point lead for Clinton as opposed to maybe three or four. But also Virginia is changing in such ways that it's sort of becoming more democratic. Uh, it is a diverse state, probably a little bit more diverse than the nation. It's also a very well-educated state and very affluent, particularly in northern Virginia. Those are all indicators of, of basically non-support for Trump. Uh, and uh, particularly that Northern Virginia area, um, former uh, Congressman Tom Davis, who used to represent a uh, district in Northern Virginia, um, kind of a more moderate Republican. Uh, Davis has this great saying in which he talks about how um, what some Republicans in Virginia don't, don't quite comprehend is that uh, a third of the state is now New Jersey <laughs> in that, you know, you've got this big Democratic bloc in Northern Virginia that used to be Republican and just didn't anymore. And there's so many votes up there that it outvotes the rest of the state. And also, you know, Democrats get a lot of votes uh, uh, at uh, 
uh, in Charlottesville, uh, you know, home of my, my employer, the University of Virginia, also in, in Richmond and greater Richmond uh, and in the Hampton Roads area. And so Trump's going to do great in Virginia, sort of uh, west of Charlottesville and kind of the, um, you know, western Virginia where like, uh, you know, Roanoke is and Virginia Tech. And but there just aren't that many votes out there. So uh, in the most populous areas in Virginia, I think Clinton is going to be is going to do very well. Uh, and that makes Virginia one of the best states for her of the competitive states this year. I know you look at elections uh, fairly scientifically and statistically. You don't uh, get swayed by a lot of the rhetoric uh, going on. But this has to be a fascinating one from a statistical point of view. It, it is in part because you might see some some changes in the electorate. Um, particularly amongst uh, this this education gap that we see amongst the white electorate, you know, uh, white working class people, uh, particularly, you know, whites without a college degree. Um, that's a group that Republicans already were winning by a lot, but there were still a lot of those voters who voted Democratic, particularly in the Midwest. Some of the, if even more of those voters peel off to vote Republican this time, it could very easily flip states like Iowa and Ohio from Democratic to Republican. And then the question is, is if those if those demographics change, will they stay that way? And then will the Republicans become even more of a kind of uh, kind of working class white party? And then the Democrats kind of have majorities of everybody else. But correct me if I'm mistaken, but haven't we seen this before? Didn't we see this with Nixon's silent majority and his hard hat brigades in in the late 60s? Didn't we see this with the Reagan Democrats uh, in the 80s? I think it's I think it's a transition in that um, Nixon and Reagan, I think, peeled off pieces of the old Roosevelt New Deal coalition. Old labor. Yeah, and labor, too. And, you know, to the point where I think a lot of. Uh, you know, labor leadership is a lot more unified behind Democrats than labor than, than the rank and file is. But it, it's you know, we I think we were thinking that in Obama's two elections that maybe Democrats had basically hit like rock bottom amongst the kind of non-college whites, and it turns out there was more of them, more for 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 that Democrats to lose, and Trump is picking them up at this moment. However. Uh, Clinton has been able to peel off some of the college-educated whites, and particularly in a state like Ohio, uh, you look at places like Delaware County, which is the very affluent, educated Columbus suburbs, uh, Warren County, which is educated, affluent uh, Cincinnati suburbs, uh, some other places in Ohio, and you know Trump may not perform as well as Republicans typically do in those places, which are often vote 60% or more Republican. In fact, Warren County um, votes voted almost 70% for Romney in, in 2012. So uh, even if you, you know, let's say Trump falls to 65 or 66 in that county, those are votes he's going to have to make up in other places. And, and his strategy, obviously, not just in Ohio, but across the country, is to pick off the places with uh, what he thinks are disaffected Democrats, people who are angry, people who That's right. are, are out of jobs. So in Ohio, he's looking at the eastern tier, right. uh, starting Mahoning County, which is Youngstown. And then if you uh, uh, follow the geography down the river, mm-hmm. uh, Steubenville, Niles, uh, other places, yeah. uh, down that which has traditionally been Democratic stronghold. Yeah, although a lot of those counties have trended against Democrats in recent years. I mean, 
Jefferson County, which is Steubenville, and uh, um, its neighbor, Belmont, and also Monroe County. Monroe County is very small, but those were typically pretty Democratic counties. Uh, there was a lot of uh, kind of heavy industry in those counties and mining, uh, and those were big New Deal Democratic counties that stayed Democratic for a very, very long time, up until really the last couple of elections. Uh, but those areas are trending Republican anyway. But Trump may even push them further toward the Republicans. And then up up north along the Ohio River and the Pennsylvania border, you've got Youngstown and uh, the city of Warren and Trumbull County and also Ashtabula in the northeast corner of Ohio. Of Ohio. Uh, it's possible that uh, Trump will win, you know, one or more of those counties, even though they all were um, if you put them together, uh, Obama probably got close to 60 percent of the vote or, or even a little bit more than 60 percent of the vote in those three counties. And so if Clinton is losing a lot of her the traditional Democratic margin in those places, you know, that really puts her in in deep trouble. And she might have to make that up uh, maybe in some Republican suburban counties or by maximizing her vote in the core Democratic counties of like Franklin, which is Columbus and Cuyahoga, which is Cleveland. So let's spread out over the country. Let's look at Arizona and Georgia and, and Nevada, Florida, North Carolina, the, the different uh, sort of bundles of, of states that, that you were talking about. What I didn't hear is the influence of minority votes in those states, the African-American vote uh, in Arizona, the Hispanic vote. Uh, are those under polled, as you said, or, or are, are they not being counted in the mix, or are they being counted? Um, there's some question as to how good pollsters are doing with Hispanics. Sometimes pollsters will get the requisite number of Hispanic voters, but sometimes they're not contacting them in Spanish, which means sometimes they'll get a more um, uh, Hispanic popula- uh, Hispanic voters who are um, maybe second or third generation in the United States, uh, don't speak Spanish, uh, and maybe are more conservative. Um, and so that's the danger for pollsters in places like Nevada and Colorado and Arizona that have hefty Hispanic populations. Uh, the reason I think that, that Trump is probably still favored in uh, Arizona and Georgia is just that those states were states that Mitt Romney won by uh, huge margins. Yeah, probably like eight or nine points if memory serves. Uh, so they weren't particularly close, and they were many more points Republican than the national average in 2012. Those states are changing. They're states where Trump may underperform. But uh, in the current state of the race, which seems very close and competitive nationally, it's just hard to imagine uh, Trump act- or Clinton actually getting over the finish line uh, in some of those states. So basically, Clinton's path to the White House looks very much like, like Barack Obama's was. I think that um, at this point, it seems unlikely that Clinton would win any state that wasn't won by Obama at least once um, because uh, Arizona and Georgia voted voted for, for McCain and Romney. And again, those seem to be probably not all that likely to go Democratic. Uh, Obama won, you know, a lot of the other swing states at least once. He won North Carolina in 2008, but not in 2012. Uh, Obama never won Missouri, a traditional bellwether that's trended Republican. Obama won Indiana once, but not twice. And Indiana looks pretty solid for um, for Trump wow. this time. So, you know, it's going to be some of the same old the same old states that help decide this thing, you know, Florida and North Carolina and Ohio and, and Pennsylvania and, and Virginia and Colorado, et cetera. We're really looking at, um, you know, maybe a dozen states that are um, uh, 
um, that are maybe two party competitive, you know, maybe a little bit more because the, this election, there seems to be a little bit more, more, a few, a few more competitive states in this election. But for the most part, most of the states vote pretty predictably historically or in recent history uh, and probably in this election, too. Republicans have time and time again targeted Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and said it's a must win. Uh, time and time again, they've lost Pennsylvania. Uh, it looks like the same thing is happening this time. We don't know the outcome. Sure. But again, they're targeting Pennsylvania. Is it- it, and Pennsylvania is a tricky state for Republicans because in some ways a lot of individual parts of the state are trending Republican, particularly western Pennsylvania, which just like Appalachian, Ohio, used to be a lot friendlier to Democrats than it is now. Uh, and additionally, uh, I think Trump hopes to make some inroads in kind of working class white northeastern Pennsylvania. So uh, particularly the city of uh, Scranton and Wilkes- Wilkes-Barre, I think was mispronounced that, that uh, city, Wilkes-Barre. Um, Up around it, the area. Yeah, that yeah, that, area. that's right. And, and so, um, you know, really Clinton will, Clinton will win Allegheny County, which is Pittsburgh, but probably not much else uh, in the western part of the state, maybe Erie County in, uh, in northwest Pennsylvania, which is pretty Democratic typically, uh, and Center County, which is where Penn State is, really Center County right in the center of the state. Um, but really, it's all about what are the margins that Clinton gets out of Philadelphia and the Philadelphia suburbs, and can Trump make that up in the rest of the state? Um, the uh, uh, it looks like Clinton will probably get at least a net five hundred thousand votes out of Philadelphia and the Philadelphia suburbs, uh, and there may not there may just not be enough Republican votes in the rest of the state to make up for that, even if uh, Trump performs better than Republicans typically do in Western Pennsylvania and also maybe even Northeastern Pennsylvania. We saw Trump traditionally get a bump out of the Republican convention. Mm-hmm. We, we saw. Uh, Hillary Clinton get uh, a, a bigger bump out yeah. of the Democratic convention. Both of those evaporated. Mm-hmm. Uh, to what do you attribute the Trump uh, surge, for want of a better term? So uh, I do think, again, that Trump is bringing in um, maybe getting a little bit of crossover vote from traditionally white working class people who may have voted for Obama previously. Or, or at least maybe voted for Obama in 2008, if not 2012. Uh, I think that Trump also was struggling with par- Republican Party unity previously, uh, and he's made great strides in unifi- unifying the uh, Republican uh, electorate. Uh, different polls kind of differ on this, but basically Clinton and Trump are both getting a very high level of party unity, 85 percent or more of self-identified Democrats voting for Clinton, 85 uh, percent or more of self-identified Republicans voting for Trump. Um, you know, the balance of polls maybe shows Trump just a little bit weaker amongst his own party. But again, um, the defections from Trump seem to be more amongst kind of elite office holders like Governor Kasich of Ohio uh, and Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona and a few other people. Um, it's more about the elite defections than uh, the mass rank and file who uh, I think have basically warmed up to Trump or at least are sort of uh, accepting that they, they would prefer to, to, to uh, swallow hard and vote for him as opposed to voting for Hillary Clinton, who, you know, they've been voting against the Clintons for a quarter century now. Um, so that, I think, has been helpful to Trump. And also Clinton seems like Democratic enthusiasm is down. We'll see if maybe the debates change that. They Sometimes the debates can be a uh, pr- present a kind of rally around the flag effect for uh, for the parties. 
so, you know, Democratic enthusiasm, not great. And uh, Clinton may not get ma- the maximal turnout she needs amongst minorities and also younger voters who generally a little bit less reliable voters anyway and who are uh, who, who Democrats are very reliant on. Additionally, and one other factor is that you know, we do have third-party candidates, uh, Gary Johnson, a libertarian, Jill Stein, the Green Party candidate. Taken together, they seem to be hurting Clinton a little bit more than Trump. Maybe they fade. There's a, there are already some signs this week that, that Johnson in particular was starting to fade a little bit, and Stein probably always was, was overrated in the polls. Um, she should probably only get like 1% or 2%. Now, that's 1% or 2% that's probably coming from Clinton. Uh, but Johnson is, has fallen from maybe 9 or 10 to maybe 7 uh, and that may continue. And, and I think to the extent that he fades, it could potentially help both Trump and Clinton. But I think Clinton overall is helped because uh, she tends to do better in the two way poll with Trump than, than the four way one, including the third party candidates. So if they fade on balance, probably helps her. Yeah, I, I'm getting confused by the polls, which is mm-hmm. easy for lay people to, to do. Uh when I dig down deep in the polls, the Washington Post came out with uh, with new poll uh, recently, and it said uh, Trump is leading with voters on taking care of the economy, but Hillary Clinton's leading with voters on getting new jobs. <laughs> that that that, that, that doesn't, doesn't make much sense, make sense does it? To me, no, and and uh, there are all sorts of conflicting signs in the polls, and particularly. I think it's best to just look at polling averages. Uh, Real Clear Politics does one. So does HuffPost Pollster. If you're familiar with uh, Nate Silver's 538 website, his model is basically a polling average which with a few little other modifications, but it's mostly just based on polls. And, you know, the thing is that some of the different polling aggregators pick different polls. Some include a lot of polls. Others include fewer, the ones that they think are better. Uh, but if you just look at the averages, I could tell you a little bit more about what's going on, and it sort of uh, avoids the um, you know over focusing on just one poll because you know these these polls you know some of them aren't conducted all that well, some of them are. Uh, there's a lot of money put into them, uh, but they also ch- tend to the public polls tend to change a lot more than private campaign polls. Uh, private campaign polls usually are basically of better quality and. Uh, show far less movement amongst voters, which I think is actually the truth, because most voters, particularly those who say they're voting for Clinton and Trump, don't, aren't going to change their mind. Well, and you, it seems like you, you get these sort of swings, you know, Hillary's pneumonia, Trump's birther issue, right. I mean, back and forth, back and forth, back and, and forth. And what happens sometimes is that the the actual state of the race doesn't change all that much, but... Um, there can be different periods of enthusiasm for the different to the two different parties. So, like, remember in in 2012, Barack Obama was leading pretty comfortably going into the first debate with with Mitt Romney. Then he bombed. Yeah, Obama did horribly. Romney did really well. The polls changed, but there's some evidence that that was more uh, basically just more Republicans were excited about talking to pollsters than Democrats because of because they you know of their reactions at the debate. And it seemed like there might have been movement when really there was just a difference in enthusiasm. And then Obama sort of rebuilt his lead. But the Obama campaign polls, which were probably the best polls anyone conducted of the race, the Obama people put a tremendous amount of money into their internal in their internal tracking. Basically, they showed kind of a four point race 
for most of the summer. Obama went up a tiny little bit after the conventions. That's when Trump, Romney was dealing with 47, the 47% right. comments and other controversies. Uh, and then Obama kind of lost that lift from the convention after the first debate. But basically, it went back to being a four-point race, which is what it ended up being on Election Day. Obama won by, I think, 3.9 points nationally. Um, my suspicion is that the Clinton campaign's polls are not moving around as much as the um, as the uh, uh, the public polls are. Um, and, you know, the Trump campaign doesn't seem to have as robust of a polling effort. So I couldn't tell you what necessarily their internals might be uh, saying about things. Um, but it does seem like the Clinton folks are putting a ton of money into that. Uh, and we'll have to start to see how they react. Are they going to start to put money into states that they previously have not spent on, you know, spent money on television on? I mean, as as far as I know, uh, Clinton is not on the air in Colorado, uh, even though the Colorado public polls have gotten very close. I think that maybe the Clinton campaign, rightly or wrongly, has a different impression of what reality is in Colorado. They may think that they're actually up by by more than just a few points like the public polls show. Uh, so, you know. The Clinton campaign's behavior may tell us about what their numbers say. Uh, and, you know, the flip side of that is do we start to see the Clinton campaign maybe pull out of a state like Iowa where Trump may have taken a lead? Do, do they even pull out of Ohio maybe? And that would be a tell that they think that Ohio might not be winnable, even though I think Ohio is legitimately very close right now. But uh, you may remember that Al Gore pulled yeah, out of Ohio right, in 2000. He, uh, he ended up losing the, st the state by about four points in what was essentially a nationally tied uh, contest. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of mystery out there, but I don't think that the Clinton campaign anyway is as reliant on the public polls as, as we are. We'll be back after this message. This program is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College offers the foundation for individuals seeking to blend creativity and practice so that graduates have the freedom to direct their skills and move the world forward. The Scripps faculty takes a multidisciplinary approach to academic, professional, and social growth so that graduates have relentless optimism to navigate the changing media environment. The Scripps College of Communication is one of the most comprehensive colleges of communication in the country and was named a Center of Excellence in Ohio in 2010. It's proud to showcase the Stephen L. Schoonover Center for Communication, the brand-new facility that opened in 2015. State-of-the-art laboratory spaces and flipped classrooms are just two of the many features in this new building. Learn more about the Scripps College of Communication at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. As lay people looking at these polls, as our listeners out there looking at the polls, this election more than most, uh, all elections have an element of this, but I think this election more than most, we have people voting against someone instead of voting for someone. There's a, Does that impact the polls and the polling accuracy? So uh, I don't know if it impacts the polling accuracy, but the polls do show that phenomenon you're talking about. And there's actually a term for it 
uh, that was coined by Alan Abramowitz at Emory University, who writes for our, uh, our, our crystal ball newsletter at the University of Virginia Center for Politics, where I work. Um, the, the phenomenon is called negative partisanship, and it's basically that voters increasingly vote uh, in opposition to the other party as opposed to in support of their own party uh, and their party's candidates. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of indication from polls, polling that a lot of Republicans are voting for Trump because they don't like Clinton. A lot of Democrats are voting for Clinton because they don't like Trump. Uh, I don't know if that necessarily impacts the polls all that much, but there are some other polling challenges in this election. First of all, there are a high number, higher number of undecideds than maybe we're used to. Part of it is because about a quarter of the country doesn't really like Clinton or Trump. Uh, so they may be having a hard time picking between the two. And you do have roughly 10 percent of the vote parked in uh, third party candidates, be it uh, mostly Gary Johnson, but some of it for Jill Stein as well. Or even uh, Evan McMullen, who's a um, third party kind of Republican alternative who seems to actually be getting some traction in uh, a state like Utah. Um, uh, uh, Trump is pretty unpopular out there. McMullen is Mormon himself, and so there's that makes some sense. But um, when you ask voters, you know, Clinton and Trump voters, how how likely are you to stick with your candidate, they very over, overwhelmingly say, you know, I'm I'm set to vote for Clinton. I'm set to vote for Trump. If you ask people voting for, saying they're voting for Stein or Johnson or McMullen, and say how likely are you to vote for this person, they're a lot less sure. So third party candidates sometimes will fade as we get close to election day. Uh, and uh, some of those people parked over there might move to uh, Clinton or Trump. Uh, but that, but the, the higher number of undecideds and the high third-party vote and the unfavorability of the two candidates uh, does make, I think, the, polling, the pollster's job harder. So we're in debate season now. Uh, do they impact uh, polls? Do they impact elections? You know, we go back to 1960 and the first televised debate with uh, Kennedy and Nixon. And since then, everyone senses that they're incredibly important, are they? So, um, you know, I think the three years where you could look at the debates as being important were probably 1960, 1976, and 2000. Now, part of the reason you could say that about 1960 and 2000 is that both of those elections were just really, really close. And so, therefore, uh, there could have been any number of things that affected the outcome. Uh, it does seem like Kennedy kind of got the better of Nixon in that first debate for kind of uh, – um, aesthetic, aesthetic reasons, reasons exactly, <laughs> more, maybe more than anything else. Uh, Kennedy looked great on camera. Nixon didn't really didn't. Um, and then in 2000, uh, I think that Gore, uh, maybe Gore came off as a little a little wooden uh, in the debates, and maybe that hurt him. But again, there's so many factors in a close race that one never knows. And then I bring up 1976 in that Jimmy Carter had a big lead in that race that dwindled over the fall uh, to the point where, where Ford was making big gains uh, as the election day got closer. Uh, but Ford made what is regarded as a mistake in the second debate, which was he suggested that um, Eastern Europe was not under the domination of Soviet, so the Soviet Especially Union. which Poland. <laughs> yeah, right, which was, which was kind of a crazy thing to say, but I think he just kind of, he kind of misstated it. He said, you know, the, the, the people themselves are not dominated, but of course the countries were behind the Iron Curtain. And while some experts say, well, it didn't affect anything because Ford continued to gain on Carter after that moment, Ford's own campaign says that that 
or said at the time that that mistake um, sort of uh, uh, stalled their progress and in a race that Ford would, would go on to lose by only two points, maybe if he doesn't say that, he improves even more in the polls than he actually did. And there were there was some indication that that comment hurt Ford with um, particularly the, the, the two closest states that Carter won, um, which were Wisconsin and Ohio. Uh, Wisconsin and Ohio have a lot of uh, uh, ethnic Eastern people, people whose ancestors um, were, were from Eastern Europe. Yeah. Uh, and that was sort of seen as a, a, a big deal back then, uh, although that was 40 years ago. And um, those sorts of ethnic connections are sort of another generation or two removed. A couple of questions before we wrap up. Uh, early voting. Early voting more and more popular. Didn't used to be. Now mm-hmm. it is. Um, how does that impact? The, the polls or or the, the sort of the pundits, they sort of disregard that. So early voting is very important. Uh, about a third of all the votes cast in this presidential election will be cast early, either early or by absentee. Wow. Some states actually have all all male voting, not not all men, but all post, you know, postal, yeah, postal voting. Vote. Uh, Colorado is one of them, Oregon, Oregon. and Washington, uh, and, and many other states have very robust uh, uh, male voting, uh, including California. And, and Ohio has um, – it's very easy to vote absentee in Ohio, and it's very easy to um, vote early. The uh, registration deadline is coming up in Ohio uh, on October 11th, but it's, it's, it's very easy to vote in Ohio, I think. Um, but – what it what I think it matters for is particularly for Democrats are um, their voters again are sort of younger and more diverse and generally those are groups that that don't vote as as much as older whiter voters who tend to be a little bit more Republican. So the early and absentee voting windows are really important for for Democrats to sort of bank votes. I had a, I was talking to a Democrat. The other day, um, working for the Clinton campaign, and he described it as sort of like, you know, squirrels putting away acorns, you know, and that's that's how they look at the the early voting. And so you try to get as many people out as early as you can. So you sort of check off those boxes and move on to other harder to reach voters. Um, So the early voting is really important. And also, you know, if you're polling in late October, um, it's probably important to ask whether respondents have voted or not. Because a big chunk of the voters will have already voted, uh, and so the you know and the polls may not be quite as valuable. You know, there's it was interesting during the primary season there were national polls taken of the primaries in like late March. Well, by that time half the states had already voted anyway, so a lot of those people responding don't play into it anymore. They don't they don't have any votes left. Uh, so that's something that I think pollsters need to keep in mind, and also the campaigns in terms of. Uh, making sure they get their get their voters out as early as possible and banking those votes uh, before Election Day. Well, that leads me to the follow up question, and that is how important are campaign organizations? What we've heard is that the Clinton campaign incredibly organized a lot of field workers, been in a lot of key states a long time. Uh, Trump, not so much, at least by by reputation. Yeah, and I think that's true. Certainly the Clinton campaign is putting more money into and, and, and has more people on staff than the Trump campaign does. But I think what the Trump campaign would say is that their people are more enthusiastic, they have more volunteers, uh, and also that their voters are more reliable and more engaged and therefore maybe don't need quite as much prodding. And 
There was a recent uh, ABC, it was, I think it was a poll you cited earlier, ABC Washington Post national poll that had Clinton up two nationally. Uh, and that poll actually asked voters if they had been personally contacted by either the Clinton or Trump campaigns. And about an equal percentage said they'd been contacted by Clinton or Trump, which suggests that uh, if that finding is accurate, that both campaigns are doing about an equal, equally good job uh, in, in, you know, in contacting voters. So, um, you know, the, the idea this whole time has been that Clinton would have the, the better operation. Uh, maybe she will, but it does seem like the Trump people are, are, are having some success as well. Early on, uh, people were looking at politicians uh, like Governor Kasich in Ohio, who basically has said, look, uh, I'm not going to get in your way, but I'm not going to do anything for you uh, as, as being pivotal. Uh, has that proven to be true or false? Um, I Again, I think the resistance to Trump is sort of more amongst Republican Party elites like Governor Kasich than the rank and file. The rank and file is sort of coming around. However, uh, Ted Cruz just recently endorsed Trump in kind of a tepid right. way. But, of course, he had given a speech and not made an endorsement at the convention, which was pretty controversial at the time. But based on the profile that we know of the voters, the Republican voters who are currently not supporting uh, uh, Trump, they look a lot more like Kasich's voters than Cruz's voters in, the, in terms of the Cruz voters are pretty religious and pretty conservative, and those voters are very overwhelmingly backing Trump. The Kasich voters, uh, a little bit more moderate, a little bit more suburban, uh, and they're the, that's the block of Republicans that's most resistant to Trump. And so uh, if Kasich does, or I'm sorry, if, if Trump does in fact suffer defections in basically kind of uh, affluent, educated suburban areas, those very well could be kind of Kasich voters saying they don't want to vote for Trump. And maybe they're, in fact, inspired by Kasich to do that. And in a, in a very close race, potentially both in Ohio and nationally, every little bit counts. And so maybe uh, Kasich is sort of giving some of those voters an excuse not to vote for Trump. Uh, and that could be important in a state that, you know, could be end up being decided by just, you know, a few 10,000 votes or something. I'm a political junkie, so I keep up as, as best I can on, on all of this. Uh, politics is your life. Uh, it's your bread and butter. It's what you do all the time. So we follow various different things. But if one of our listeners is out there and going, you know, I don't keep up with a lot uh, but I want to sort of tap into what's going on. Where would where would you direct them? I mean, how can the average person cut through all the pundancy out there and and get to the heart of the issues? So, well, of course, I'll plug our own website, <laughs> centerforpolitics.org, backslash crystal ball. Um, I, my, our, our publication is called Sabato's Crystal Ball. It's named after Larry Sabato, uh, who's been at the University of Virginia for a long time commenting on elections. We try to handicap what's going to happen. The nice thing, I think, for, about the crystal ball is that, one, we're nonpartisan, and two, uh, we only come out once or twice a week, and so we sort of you know, it's a it's a it's a chunk of, you know, a, a chunk of reading that I think a lot of people can handle, whereas other places may be sort of inundating people with stuff that that, you know, maybe maybe they they don't care about as much. Uh, so we have a you know, we could it's free to sign up if you just uh, 
Google crystal ball. Uh, the first thing that will come up is a, uh, is a is an ad for a literal crystal ball. That's not what we're affiliated with. Uh, but then the next thing will come up is Larry Sabato's crystal ball, and you could sign up for free via email there. Uh, I I mentioned earlier that I think the polling averages really tell you a good could give you a good snapshot of where things are. Rickler Politics, HuffPost, uh, Pollster, um, five thirty eight is a good place for that sort of information. And uh, you know I still think that uh, big media, you know, big traditional media still does a really good job of covering politics. Uh, I think that the Washington Post has had an outstanding. Uh, outstanding uh, election, and in fact, there there are uh, a number of Bobcats that went to the Scripps School here at at OU uh, who are at the Washington Post, and so it's a good publication to support if you're uh, at, at all affiliated with Ohio University or Athens. Um, but you know, the New York Times is also does really good work, and uh, you know, if you just look at their politics section, you'll get a good good sense of things. Will you come back and talk to us again before I, the election? I would be happy to. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Today, we've been talking to Kyle Condit, a nonpartisan expert on American politics, about the status of the presidential race at the end of September, with one more month to go until the election. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum on iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through iTunes. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, you can direct them to me via email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu.